Trade you, buddy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who has come in order to make us countercultural. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know about you, but I had the opportunity in my high school yearbook when I was a senior. This was something that was reserved for seniors. Uh, when, when I was a senior, I had the opportunity to choose a quote. Now, this is something that's pretty common, I think. It wasn't just my high school. Um, uh, but some of you, well, maybe you didn't get to do that. And if you didn't get to do that, I'm sorry. But if you did, think about what that quote was. And if not, maybe think about what that quote might have been. Would it be a quote from literature? Would it be a quote from a particular kind of person? Would it be a quote from a scientist? Would it be a quote from the Bible? Are you that holy? Would it be a quote from Martin Luther? Would it be a quote from Kanye? Would it be a quote from somebody else? What would your quote be that you wanted at the bottom of your yearbook? If you got to be in a yearbook today... What would your quote be? Well, I thought long and hard about my quote. and I actually kind of researched quotes and looked for quotes because I wanted a good one. And so I remember going through quotes when I was a senior in high school and kind of deciding, okay, what, what quote do I want to appear underneath that picture of me in a suit and tie And the quote that I chose actually came from a Indian yogi, somebody who is a, a Hindu priest, basically. You know, it's okay. Guy, guy's name was Krishma, Krishna Maturi. And his quote was that it is not a sign of good mental health to be well-adjusted in a sick society. I think that tells you a little bit about who I was in high school. If it doesn't tell you about who I was in high school, it definitely tells you something about who I wanted to be in high school. And that's what those quotes kind of bring across. They bring across this sense of who are you, how do you want to be remembered, and, and who do you think that you really are? And so, some of the people, you could tell things about who they were in that high school yearbook. And so, maybe that's a question that's posed to you. As you thought about that quote, as you thought about what that quote might have been, what would that quote say about you? What would that quote say about who you think you are? What would that quote say about who you really are? Would that quote... Say that you are a rebel? Would that quote say that you are somebody who follows the rules? Would that quote say that you're somebody who loves intellect? Or would that quote say that you're somebody who loves humor? Would that quote say something else about you entirely? Well, that's kind of the big question in today's readings is... 
who are we? And is that person who we are together as the body of Christ? What does that person look like? And that's really what we're talking about throughout this entire year. Because God has said that we are His body. Which means that as His body... We are sort of a singular unit that all of the people that have been baptized into Christ's name are baptized into this body of Christ. And that as this body of Christ, we have a personality. And the body of Christ, us together, not necessarily us individually, but us together, has this personality. And you start to think about, okay, well, if we're the body of Christ, if that body of Christ has a personality, then what would that body of Christ have under its yearbook photo? And one of the options would be sort of a rebellious, countercultural quote. Something that said, we're different, we're distinct. We're unique. Although some of us might get a little bit worried about that. Because there's kind of a change that at least I've noticed in how people perceive what Christianity is. And I think that it's a change that has come along our, well, phase in life. It probably comes along this 1941 liturgy that we're using. So that liturgy, that that set of songs that we use every Sunday here, we change that up every church year, every church season. And the one that we're using right now comes from 1941. And for some of us in this room, this 1941 liturgy Well, it feels like home. It feels like, oh yeah, that's the stuff. That's when Lutherans were Lutheran. That's when the glory days of whatever happened in 1941 was happening. But for others of us in this room, this was maybe the first day that you sang those tunes. Others of us in this room, this is maybe a liturgy that you dread. And you're like, oh no, it's Lent again. That means 1941. Well, and there's a similarity there between how we see God... And God's body at work in the world. You see, for some of us, we have this impression that, well, God's body should be fitting in with culture because the best things about culture are going to be the things about God. That the best things about culture are going to be the things that stem from our knowledge of the Old Testament reading, our knowledge of that list of Ten Commandments. But there's others of us that look at that list of Ten Commandments and we think about following those things and we don't see that as, well, of course we would follow that because that is what the rest of culture would have us do. We instead look at those Ten Commandments and we go, man, I'm going to look like a freak if I follow these things. Are you kidding me? 
celebrating a Sabbath? Who on earth takes a day off anymore? And especially if you're a Christian, I mean, you don't get to go to brunch. Right? There, there's kind of this sense of like, oh, okay, well, what, what, what is this like? And, and is the church really countercultural? Well, we at least know that Jesus is, right? I mean, that's what the gospel reading is all about. Jesus is countercultural in his own time. And so you can still make that argument that Jesus is not countercultural in our time. I think you're crazy, but you can make that argument. Jesus is countercultural in his own time because he walks into church and he flips over tables. He walks in and he says, this isn't the way that this is supposed to be. And what he's doing there is he's challenging culture. He's saying, this is not the way that this is supposed to work. Now, in a lot of ways, we have no idea what he's challenging there. We just know that somebody brought pigeons into God's house. And if somebody brought pigeons in here, there would be a lot of upset people, right? And you just imagine that that is what Jesus is upset about. He's like, there's pigeons in here. There is going to be poop everywhere. But that's not not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is that what those people are doing is they're taking advantage of the less fortunate. They're taking advantage of foreigners. You you hear that bit about the money changers. The, those money changers, those are people that specifically set up in the temple because they were there in order to change your money out in order that you could give an offering of money or buy one of those animals as a sacrifice in the temple. Because the temple had its own money. It would be hilarious. It would be like if we printed university Lutheran bucks. And that somebody was at either door. And that the person who was at either door had a specific exchange rate. And if you're a member of University Lutheran, you know this. You know that the members of University Lutheran, after you've gotten used to coming here a while, you figured out where to park and you figured it's all back that way, you figured out most of the members of University Lutheran come through the back door. But the guests, well, they come through the front door, that glass door. And so you know how this would play out there would be a different exchange rate for the back door than for the front door. Well, that's the way that it was in the temple. And people were taking advantage of people there. And Jesus rejected that. He said, while this may be cultural, while this may seem like a good idea, while this may even seem on the outset like being something very righteous and religious. I mean, I'm sure that all of those people who owned all of those animals for sacrifice, all of the money changers, were just saying, we're here in order to make this a smooth experience for anybody coming to the temple. Because they had bought into the culture. 
And every now and again, you need a person like Jesus to come in and say, this isn't how it's supposed to be. So where does that leave us as Christians? The first place it leaves us is constantly asking for Jesus to do what he did in the temple in our lives. Which is frightening. Because a lot of us read John 2, a lot of us read this story about Jesus coming into the temple, and we read it and we go, yeah, Jesus, you go get him. But the reality is that the um in that sentence is you. And so we need to ask Jesus to come into our lives and say, Jesus, come and get me. Jesus, come flip over my tables. Jesus, come braid a cord of whips and beat me. Show me my sin. Show me what is not supposed to be in my life. Not because we are masochistic, but because we just want to know the truth. We want to see the way that is different. And sometimes that takes a shock, like Jesus flipping over tables. The second thing that it means is deeper. second thing that it means is that a lot of times we're not willing to walk into that countercultural reality of being Jesus' body because we think we're doing it all alone. And that's the scary thing about being countercultural is that we think, I, I'm, I'm going to be the only person who is following the third commandment. I'm going to be the only person who's following the sixth commandment. I'm going to be the only person who's going to church on Sunday in my dorm. I'm going to be the only person who is coming to the restaurant after church. And I'm afraid of what that's going to look like. We're afraid of that countercultural reality because we think we're on our own. But you're not. Because here's the beautiful thing, is that Jesus took the loneliness of being countercultural upon himself. When he went through that temple, he didn't do it with his disciples. He didn't say, Peter, James, John, let's go. He said, I'm going to do this all on my own, but I'm going to make you my body. I'm going to change you so that you're a group of people who are countercultural. I'm going to eliminate the loneliness, and even when it seems like you're the only person, even in your community, I'm going to promise to be there with you. That's what Jesus promises to us all. Is this ability to live in community with other people, other people that are set on his countercultural path, but not set on that path alone. Rather that we are set on that path with the people that you see in this room. That you can look around and you can say, look, I may not know much about that person, but I know that person is at least somewhat interested in living their life in a different way. And so when I feel alone, maybe I can reach out to them. When I feel like this is just me, then maybe I can reach out to them and I can seek their support. And as you look around to those people, you can maybe do the same thing. And you can say, 
when I see that person, I'm going to try to build them up. I'm going to try to encourage them because this is tough. I know that it's tough. I know it's tough to be countercultural. And so I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to love on them. I'm going to take communion with them. I'm going to live in community with them. Because what Jesus did all alone on the cross, He meant for us to do together as a people. Not in the dying for the sins of the world aspect of that, but the being lifted up aspect of that. That what God would have us be is our people who are lifted up to the culture like a cross. Because when God says that He wants the world to see His body at work, He wants to see that body showing the rest of the world what it's like to be unified with one another for His sake. So now may you this week, as you go out into this world, may you embrace the countercultural reality of what it is to be a person who believes in Jesus. May you embrace all of the beauty of being that countercultural person who has said, I know that I sin, which is countercultural in itself. And I have received forgiveness, which is also countercultural. May you be that person who lives in that strange reality of acknowledging your sin, but not letting it bother you. And with that, may you gather together with other people who know that countercultural reality. That we all together, as Christ's body, know that we have sinned, but know that we have a Savior. And may that lead you to act in other countercultural ways. Amen.